0: So, what do you listen to these days?
1: I listen to some of the old stuff that I still you know, have uh, the CDs of and, and whatnot. But uh, if I hear, you know, someone will mention somebody, and I'll look them up. And uh, I'm trying to think what I've been listening to. Well, you know, some of the Jimmy Vaughn stuff that he just put out. Nothing really new, I guess. It's. Uh, do you uh, listen to it
0: as? Um a fan, and you, or do you listen to it as a musician and
1: try to decipher what's being played? It's hard not to listen to it as a musician. and uh, I've thought about that, and we've talked about it uh, amongst ourselves as musicians, uh, friends. Um, I kind of envy people that aren't musicians, that listen to something, and they can listen to it as, as it is and right. for what it is, and just take it in and not... Um, maybe criticize it and listen for the guitar parts, you know, being a guitar player. Um, I remember uh, an interview with, um, I think it was David Gilmour talking about Dark Side of the Moon and how he, you know, after recording it and playing it so much that, you know, he kind of envies the listener to be able to listen to Dark Side of the Moon as a listener for the first time and not know, you know, what went into it and, uh, you know, in that respect, you know.
0: The artist could never listen to the music the way the audience listens to it. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just like it's just such a different experience, and there's yeah. so many different memories and things that are attached to that recording yeah. or to that process. And I find that interesting. And when you think about these great songs, that they will never hear it in the same way. They'll right. just hear it as, oh, that's the day that the bass player didn't show up or whatever. I mean, so, so I'm talking to Dan DuFour who is a pilot with Air Canada and also a musician. Um, I think I told you when I was young, living in Hong Kong, my parents had a their bedroom would look out onto Hong Kong harbour and at the end of it would be the Hong Kong airport. Mm. And I, as a youth, I remember getting my shortwave radio binoculars and watching the planes land and listening to the communication between the tower and the, the plane's. And that was a big thrill for me. And flying was always a thrill. And I always thought, wow, one day I wish I could be a pilot. Then I realized that you had to have good eyes and you had to have math. And all of a sudden, as I grew older, it kind of eliminated my options. Mm. (laughs) But you are the pilot. And and so I want to talk to you about your music and I want to talk to you about your career as a pilot. Because I just think being a pilot is a cool thing. I think so, too. (laughs) So tell me, which
1: came first, music or your love of planes? I think music probably because it was an earlier age when it was around with the family. You know, my dad had a, an acoustic guitar. All my uncles played uh, guitar. And uh, so at family events, there'd always be music around. So I'd say music was the first, uh, uh, let's say, love, you know. Uh,
0: and what kind of music were they playing?
1: Um, Folky contemporary stuff, you know, stuff that you'd play out uh around the campfire, you know, at family gatherings, you know, the guitars would come out and uh so uh songs like you know knock three times and uh <laughs> such, you know.
0: I remember listening to that song in Hong Kong actually. Um do you do you remember the the first song that just connected with you?
1: Hmm, good question.
0: Or was it because it was always there? I'm not sure if if things connect or it just becomes a part of you.
1: Yeah, for the guitar, I guess it would be <clears throat> musically, uh, like rock and roll, early rock and roll, you know, records that were around that, uh, you know, my aunts and uncles would have. And uh, at an early age, uh, I really loved Buddy Holly. Right. I loved his, uh, you know, the rock, that early rock and roll sound and the guitar. And then that branched out to the Beatles, of course, and uh, listening to records and trying to pick up what they're playing, you know, what this would be later on, you know, maybe when I was you know, 10 to 12 years old.
0: That's when you picked up the guitar?
1: Yeah, 10 years old, basically, when I started to play around with it. And did you fall in love with it immediately? Yeah, it was kind of, a, it was like a passion. It was uh, I had the guitar in my hand for, uh, you know, hours a day you know, when I could, you know, a cheap acoustic guitar. Yeah. But uh, listening to records and trying to, you know, emulate what they were playing. Well, I, mean, no, I think most musicians
0: start, fall in love with the instrument, spend hours and hours, and they don't think about it being practice or whatever. It's just their passion. Yeah, right? for sure. Or, or athletes and being Wayne Gretzky and skating for hours and hours and playing hockey. So
1: Yeah, the time just, uh, you know, you don't think of the time. It just passes. And How, how did the flight, that love of flying come about? Uh, that was uh, probably around this, around 10 to 12 years old. Uh, um, I can't think of the instance that where it occurred to me, but um, my dad had a, a friend that was a pilot, an airline pilot, and uh, they took me out to look at little airplanes at a local flying club. And uh, I think that kind of instilled a, an interest there, a spark. And then uh, my dad took me up uh, later on, uh, on a familiar, uh, familiarization flight uh, just to go up in a little airplane for you know half an hour was your dad into flying he was not a pilot no he worked for a greyhound uh, bus lines uh, out of montreal and uh, but he had friends in the industry and uh, maybe there's a background there in, in his own mind uh, a love of flying yeah. you know uh, much you know the same way you were saying you know be nice you know as a kid, you think about these things. You know, a lot of children uh, growing up want to be pilots or you know astronauts yeah. or you know, <laughs> for sure or firemen. You know, but uh, you know some become those. But uh, you know, it's um, yeah. My dad probably had a, a love of it for sure.
0: Interesting how you your dad was in the
1: transportation field and and you are too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, later on when I flew the Airbus, he said, "Oh, you drive a bus now too." <laughs> Did you? I
0: mean, how realistic was it when you when you realized that you have this love of flying? Like, how did
1: you pursue that? Like, did you think I want to be a pilot one day? Yeah, yeah. So that came along, and then um, uh, when I was thirteen, I joined Air Cadets, and a great program. Um, and through that, I was able to get my private pilot license and my glider pilot license uh, later on. In and the so how, years.
0: It's a it's a matter of putting in the hours, right?
1: Yeah. Do you remember like what
0: was required? How much, how many hours you had to get to get to the license point?
1: Yeah, like a private pilot license. Um, I'm not uh, completely sure, but it's around 35, 40 hours, something like that. Okay. And then, um, you know, not very many hours really when you think about it. But, uh, and then after that, you have to try and accumulate your hours, which you keep in a logbook. And that's basically how. You show your experience uh, level when you go later on if you want to pursue it as a career, you know, to... uh, But it's not a cheap
0: hobby, right? Like, I mean, even 30, 35 hours or whatever.
1: That's quite a bit of money that one has to pay Yeah, back then it was, you know, 70 hours, $70 an hour. Okay. I'm sure it's a lot more now. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. It's tied to the price of fuel and everything,
0: but... But at what point did you think you're doing this to become a pilot as opposed to i like flying and or was it always i want to be a pilot
1: yeah it was always i want to be a pilot it was never you know i'd like to pursue this as a uh, a hobby kind of thing oh really yeah. so uh, while
0: well, once you got into the air cadets it was i'm pursuing this and yeah hopefully one day i'm
1: going to be a pilot and yeah. did
0: you know what that meant
1: to be a pilot or at first no but as uh, gained experience uh in our cadets and then you find out uh, you talk to other pilots and you realize you know what's you know uh, what's involved in getting you know your first job mm-hmm. and uh, the process to go through uh, the options available to get all these hours that you need and then tell me how it became a reality well with air cadets i got my private pilot license and then after air cadets as you said it's pretty expensive uh, the money wasn't really there so uh, that's when music you know sort of took over and i got involved in a lot of music and at this point are you thinking music is a possibility as a career yes so music uh, you know, I was always in the background, playing in bands and whatnot through the uh, teenage years, high school and after high school. And then um, I, was, uh, I ended up teaching music at a music school in uh, La which is a suburb of Montreal. And it was on my mind that, yeah, music could be a career as well. Did you like teaching? I enjoyed it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you must have been pretty
0: decent in order to teach.
1: Yeah, it was basic music theory, so um, I taught that, and then students would bring in songs they want to learn, you know, songs of the day, you right. know, either Led Zeppelin, Van Halen, and I'd ha- I teach them in tab form how to play it on guitar, so a lot, a lot of students just wanted to learn that. There wasn't, uh, you know, there's the majority wanted to learn just to play the songs, and then there was a few that took the theory most of the younger kids you know their their parents would bring them in to learn theory
0: okay so somehow it comes in and says i want to learn van halen
1: i want to learn the guitar solo eruption is this something you can easily figure out well it's something that i'd figure figured out um before beforehand because i you know enjoyed that music as well and then if it was something new you know i'd say okay leave it with me and i'll I'll get it to you. Like I wouldn't be able to do it just sitting right there. You okay. know, maybe if, uh, but is that something, something? as uh let's say, uh, difficult as uh, eruption or something like that. But you know, easier songs I could probably you know just uh, tab it out right then and there. So, figuring
0: out a song was something that was not difficult for you.
1: At first it was, and it's just something to do more and more, and you get a, a knack for it. I guess it
0: right. becomes easier. As a non-musician, it's a concept that I can't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to imagine how somebody can do it really easily, um, and I know some people can, and yeah. other people can't. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. I wasn't, you know, you know, it was okay at it, I guess. And uh, now it's, you know, there's more uh, formats available to slow down music and yeah. really listen to uh, what, you know, maybe the faster passages and whatnot. But uh, back then, it was, you know, put your finger on the record and <laughs> slow it down. And, <laughs> try and figure out all those notes
0: (laughs) like it's a concept that would be very difficult to explain to a young musician today that you know you didn't have youtube to watch or whatever exactly yeah youtube's great you can learn anything you want you know yeah (laughs) but I, i wonder if if that discipline of putting the needle back down on that solo a number of times and and hearing it and learning it that way might be a better thing i don't know do you know yeah. what I mean? Like to just have that yeah. discipline of learning it that way, as opposed to just watching a screen and copying
1: it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe more time put into it, so it means more.
0: Yeah. Well, um, like that's what we like to believe, but maybe YouTube is a better thing. Yeah. <laughs> you, you started teaching, and and you thought, okay, um, music is a possibility because the um, the flying wasn't,
1: or it was too expensive at that point. Right. Was
0: it difficult to give up the flying at
1: that point? Or? It was, but, um, you know, music had grown in, uh, let's say, a passion of mine as well. So, you know, it was almost like they were kind of equal at that point. Uh, you know, I could go either way. Right. And, of course, with the, the cost of flying, it was sort of a given that, uh, okay, well it'll be music for, for now. Right. And um, it got to the point where it was either <clears throat> go to university for uh, – for music. And uh, the music teacher that I worked for going to school, um, he, he said, Well, why don't you start your own music school? And um, I thought about that. But um, it was around that time that uh, my father uh, said, Well, why don't you look at, into this flying thing? Because uh, music is, I mean, flying is a pretty fickle uh, career to choice. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, not everybody. Gets to you know make it to the major airlines. It's uh, it's it's pretty tough, but but music I think is even tougher. I mean, there's a lot of people out there with uh, oodles of uh, of talent, and uh, it's 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 a tough road. I, yeah, I would imagine that yeah, both you have of to are. have a passion, right? Yeah. F- for either, I think. But uh, so my dad took me to a flying school, and <clears throat> we went to see you know what what are the options available to. Uh, to get my licenses and whatnot so I ended up uh, getting a job at the flying club and working there and um, that's when sort of music again took a backseat to the flying so I concentrated on the flying for a few years there and that was the way to getting a job as a pilot yeah I couldn't join the uh the military uh because I wore glasses and they were looking for 2020 uncorrected vision oh I didn't know that and uh I, so, did, I, did I didn't have end? a college degree uh, university uh, college diploma or university degree so my uh, options were kind of limited
0: right but did you would you have gone to the military if you had that option
1: yes it would have it crossed my mind yeah if I had uh, you know the vision and uh, yeah definitely with the air cadet background I would have just continued and joined and and gone to fly in the military can I assume
0: that flying for the military would have been the the ultimate in training? Like, that would be
1: the best way of learning? Yeah, I guess it could be argued whether it's the best way, but <clears throat> definitely a good way because um, you, you you get employed by the military and they train you and you end up, uh, you know, flying some pretty neat yeah. aircraft and you, you gain that experience. And when you come out, you have that experience to show right. and get a job. You know, and some people stay in the military their whole career. And, uh um, A lot of pilots come out and then they they get a job with an airline. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would think it's a great training ground. Sure. Yeah. So
0: you didn't do that option. You did the flying school. Yeah. And how did that lead to
1: a commercial airliner? Well, uh, I instructed. I ended up instructing at the flying school eventually and building up hours. and, And how it works, once you get your commercial license, which allows you to actually work as a pilot, And then um, you get, uh, the highest level is the airline transport pilot license, which is, uh, uh, I forget how many hours you need uh, for that. It's like 1,500 hours or something like that. I can't remember. But um, once you get that, um, you're kind of employable. You're employable before that, but... uh, that's the uh, your ultimate goal is to get that license
0: so when i hear 1500 hours it seems like a lot to me yeah and i presume that you're not really putting in five or ten hours at a time you're probably putting in an hour at a time is that correct
1: yeah and it depends on the job you get um like instructing would be like an hour usually an hour uh, at a time with a student to right. go up for an hour or two um so and you need to have a few students a day hopefully and maybe fly four to five hours a day
0: interesting how how teaching
1: played a big part in both
0: of your yeah, it options is. yeah exactly. and it was teaching ever and did you ever think about teaching as a possibility in either case i know it's not, not as same. a
1: continuing career right no no uh the ultimate was to um you know well eventually became to, to fly as a career and uh i've done some teaching in, in airline, uh, world. Uh, um, but, um, no, the old, it was always, the goal was to get a job with uh, the major airlines. So when you did the
0: flying school at this point, are you thinking I'm one step closer to becoming a commercial pilot, getting my hours and this yes. is through it to go?
1: Yeah. So, uh, getting back to the flying school, um, once you get enough hours, you start sending out resumes to, to all the airlines you think you'd like to, go work at and hopefully you get a letter back saying yeah we'd like you to come for an interview right and that's how it ended up happening i I, um, got a job with voyager airways Uh, they're based out of north bay ontario so i went up there and had an interview and uh, i got a job there flying uh, 10 passenger aircraft from north bay going to which
0: North or which direction?
1: Yeah, they flew all, all over uh, uh, Ontario, southern, northern, northwestern Ontario. Um, the route I flew was out of Sudbury. Initially, I was based in Sudbury. I'd fly Sudbury to North Bay, to Ottawa, to Montreal, and then back to Ottawa, no, right. North Bay and Sudbury on and almost th- daily basis. Regional characters. I mean, that they—that's a lot of
0: work, right? It's—it's yeah. it's like you—you you just don't fly from North Bay to Sudbury and then get off. And no, and, it's usually multiple
1: legs. Yeah. uh a And day. and how
0: many hours would you put into
1: in a day? Yeah. Um. Well, sometimes you'd put in, you know, eight hours of flying. Going to various
0: yeah. destinations. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so, just in
0: general, because I'm fascinated by flying. On a regular day, let's say you have a flight that's at eight o'clock and you're going to go somewhere. What time do you have to be at the airport beforehand
1: to prepare for that flight? Like, what's a what's a regular day for you? It's usually uh, get to the um, flight planning room about an hour, fifteen, an hour and a half before the flight, and you pick up the flight plan and uh, go over it. And then, uh, is that a simple process to go over it? Um simple it's just uh, and it varies depending on there might be issues uh, with the weather right. you know uh, so it it varies, but it's a process that you go through uh, you check the flight plan and uh, for the most part it's uh straightforward right and other times there's uh, you know there's might be some issues you have to look into whether it's weather or the airplane. sometimes there's issues with the airplane that uh, maybe a system isn't working properly, so you have to make sure it's okay for that system to be an operative to go.
0: What? The system's not working?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So okay, you get your flight plan, you're
0: looking at it in the flight plan room, I presume. Yeah. And you realize, okay, this is where I'm gonna go. Yeah. Get in the plane. How do you know when the, what systems aren't working on the plane? <laughs> Say how how early are you actually on the plane before the flight to know what's going on?
1: Well, nowadays with uh, computers and whatnot, we can look up, uh, or I can, we can, um, at home, uh, before you go to work, you could actually look up the plane and, and see what, how really? the plane's doing. And, and we have these things called snags. So a snag could be written up uh, on a, an airplane. And uh, it could be something as small as, you know, video doesn't work in the passenger cabin. Right. But... Uh, when it involves more important systems of the aircraft, there's a lot of redundancy in the aircraft in systems. The more important the system, the more redundancy it has. But if something breaks, there's a manual that we use, which is a a minimum equipment list manual, which specifies what can be broken and still go on the flight. Because of this redundancy that's uh, involved in, in, in most air, all our aircraft, um, you're able to still go with something right. that's snagged or broken. Of course, something that's, you know, the more important things um, are no-go items. Yeah. So if, if they're broke, they have to be fixed before the plane can fly.
0: So you review that list. And yeah. then what, how much earlier are you actually on the plane?
1: Get uh, to the plane usually about forty-five minutes before departure. Okay. Around there, yeah. And then, at what point do you know you can fly and everything's good? Well, once you do the, you get on the aircraft and you you do your cockpit checks and and get everything in order. Um, you know, things can pop up in that time that you find that uh, might be broken right. or is not working properly, and then you have maintenance come by and hopefully fix it if it has to be fixed. But, um, usually, you know, you, when you're, you're in flight planning, you know, yeah, everything looks good, you know, unless something pops up, uh, we're going.
0: Right. Yeah. I think you told me once that air turbulence is something you can't, you don't have a way of knowing ahead of time. I don't know. That was probably <clears throat>
1: five years ago, maybe that you told me, I don't know if things have changed, but is there
0: a way of knowing air
1: turbulence? Sometimes there are, you know, there's certain indications, but, um,
0: Indications in terms of – because I think the way you explained it to me then was that you usually find out from the, the plane that's ahead of you that there might be
1: turbulence coming That's up. correct, yeah, and especially uh, with uh, clear air turbulence. So it's not really associated with any clouds, uh, some buildups uh, like thunderstorms right. or um, stuff you can see. Uh, so usually we rely a lot on you know folks ahead of us. And uh, we'll do the same. If we run into some turbulence, we'll report it and say, oh, yeah, it's a, you know, a little bumpy here. I don't even understand air turbulence. What, what causes air turbulence? <laughs> uh, a few things. I mean, uh, a lot of it is uh, pressure differences in the air and temperature uh, uh, differences. Uh, sometimes it's convective activities such as thunderstorms, right. which create the, uh, the updrafts and, and uh, turbulent air. And there's jet streams, which are at high altitude, which you see on the the weather report. Yeah. You know, they talk about jet streams. They're they're like fast moving shoots of, of air. I mean, they're crucial for your flying, right? Because yeah. it helps you get places earlier or longer. Or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. You, when you're when you're with them, you know, you, you, it's good to be in them because they're pushing you at. Uh, and 100. do you feel that when you're flying? Sometimes there could be turbulence associated with them, and that's why they're they're sort of good and bad sometimes you know the right okay yeah. so when you see it on the weather map
0: and they show an actual pattern that yeah that goes across the continent or whatever do you try to go into it and say okay if we do this then, then we're going to be half an hour quicker yeah or do you say it's it's a smoother flight if we don't go
1: to that well, the, again, with the flight planning process, the, the flight plan, uh, the dispatchers who make the, the flight plan, and there's programs that uh, create the, uh, the flight plan. <clears throat> they look at all that and the turbulent levels and the uh, possibility of turbulence. And if it looks like it'll be smooth, they'll put you in. Uh, you know, you'll you'll be in the jet stream or close to it, right. and take advantage of that tailwind. And on the other side. If you're going against it, they'll stay out of it because you don't want that headwind. But do you know, because the jet, the,
0: the jet stream that I see on the map yeah. seems to curve and go up and down, and yeah. it's not one constant. Do you know exactly where that path is? So that if you're flying from California to Toronto, yeah, and do you know when you're actually in the jet stream, and do you know how to main, stay in that jet stream?
1: Well, we follow the flight plan that was created to... Let's say if we're coming from the west, most, you know, the jet streams move uh, west to east, so you'll have a tailwind. Um, So you'll want to take advantage of that. Uh, We have indications in the cockpit of what the wind is at our altitude. So the computers are able to figure out, you know, this is the wind up here. So we could see that we're getting, let's say, a hundred knot push uh, when we're in it um, or more. Right. So um but we just follow the flight plan as given to us so
0: but the jet stream is also yeah, ever changing right yeah, yeah
1: yeah sometimes it's you know it can be straight but more than likely it's curved usually and uh and you won't follow the curve mm, or would you Not necessarily sometimes it works out that uh yeah you know you could follow it and it goes to where you want to go but ultimately you want to go from A to B and in, in the you know right. the, but when you get off the jet stream, spl- jet stream, or when
0: you get onto it, can you tell? immediately? Yeah,
1: that, that's where the turbulence usually is. Is it, as you're going through the into the core of it or out of it uh, at, with that wind speed change. Uh, sometimes there's turbulence uh, associated with that. Okay, yeah. so
0: the other thing that I've experienced is hitting a air pocket and having the plane just drop, drop, yeah. and it just.
1: I don't know exactly how many feet it dropped, but yeah. your stomach you is with it. Yeah, what causes that? Well, again, it's uh, temperature changes in the air and pressure. And, um, and you have no idea? Um, a lot of times, no. Uh, um, but, like, we get reports from other aircraft, again, you know, ahead of us. Uh, sometimes it's just clear air. So, you, like I said, you can't see it. Um, sometimes it's associated with mountains. Like, coming over the mountains, you right. get mountain <laughs> wave, which uh, will give you some of those kind of drops. And... Um, I mean, a lot of times you feel like, oh, we just dropped, you know, you'll hear someone say, oh, we must have dropped like 500 feet. And it's like, well, no, we only maybe dropped, uh, you know, 50 feet or very, very, it's like a roller coaster, right? Yeah, it's it's a a weird feeling, though. It is, yeah. And and when that happens to you as a pilot, I don't know if it happens on
0: a regular basis, but you just go, ho-hum.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's just, um, it's like going down a bumpy road sometimes. It's just there and uh, it's an annoyance. Do you remember more, the first time than you anything, hit one? Usually, yeah. Sorry. Do you remember the first time you hit one? Yeah, in smaller planes, of course, uh, you get it all the time, and especially close to the ground, we get mechanical turbulence—so wind that's um, coming across buildings or trees—and as you're coming in, you, you'll get jostled around by that. So. Yeah. Oh yeah, the smaller planes—they, you know they of course they're lighter, so they'll be affected even more. Well, I guess so. that's
0: where you get your training from, and then <clears throat> by the time you get to the big planes, yeah. you're used to this, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, I'm gonna keep asking these flying things because sure. they fascinate me, okay, but now you're you've gone to Voyager, you're now doing a run of four cities in a day, whatever yeah um is that what you thought
1: it would be to be a pilot? Yeah, the beginning of it, you know on that scale, and um of course, still hoping to get a the bigger jobs, you know ultimately it was always to get a job at a major airline such as Air Canada right. That was always the uh, the goal. And is it is it? Um, I presume
0: there must be a hierarchy, but like, do you get treated differently as a Voyager pilot
1: versus an Air Canada pilot? Yeah, probably. You know, there's a bit of um, uh, what's the word? Yeah, I don't know what the what <laughs> word it escapes me now, okay. but it, without sounding, uh, you know. You know, pompous or anything, but uh, oh, yeah, but I, everybody I was, at Air Canada probably started off at. Oh yes, yeah, level, right, and we so. all understand that, yeah, yeah. But um, I'm sure you know, like when I was flying the you know the small planes, you know, I'd see an Air Canada pilot or you know or Canadian at the time or Ward Air, and be like, wow, you know, that's uh, that's where I want to be, you know, in that respect.
0: Right. So when you were at Voyager, what did you think? What did you love about the job? And what did you not like about the job?
1: Well, I liked it because it was the next step, and there was progress. You know, building up time and flying a, a slightly bigger aircraft, and you know, on my way kind of thing. Right. You know, and uh, and that's usually the for flying, anyways. And it's probably the same in a lot of different career paths. You get that first step in. You get that first job. That's a real job. And then after that, it just, the doors open up kind of thing. Right. I'm but sure it's like that for a lot of... Uh,
0: I wonder though, I mean, you know how, you, you know, you dream about this thing and then you get there and you think, oh, this is it. And I have to do
1: this every day. Like, did you ever get to that point where... <laughs> maybe a little, but for the most part, back then it was like, wow, I'm flying. And, you know, the, the passion was still there. And, you know, and it still is today in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. Well,
0: I mean, when we, when we talked about the likelihood of becoming... A, captain for a big airliner um, versus trying to make it in music, I presume the odds are difficult on both sides. Yes. You know, like being to reach the level that you've reached.
1: There's a lot of parallels there, I think, too. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm trying to think
0: of a joke, but I can't. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you choose two fields that are not easy either way. Mm. right? And, um, And thank God you made it in one of them. Thank God, that's what I say, yeah. So where's music at this point while you're
1: playing with Voyager? Uh, pretty, you know, took a backseat for uh, a few years there. Right. And
0: And did that, is that something you missed or did you just not think about it because you were busy becoming a pilot?
1: Yeah, I, I didn't really miss it because I was so involved in the flying at that point. And I wasn't at Voyager very long, and then I I got a job out east flying um, Dash 8s for a company called Air Atlantic, Mm -hmm. and this is like 1989. And again, the music was, you know, in the back, you know, uh, didn't play much, definitely not playing with a band or anything like that. And you wouldn't even pick up the guitar. Yeah, very rarely, yeah. Yeah, and those... uh, I'd say a couple of years there, yeah. So how did you get back into music? Well, when I got to Halifax, uh, I'd never been there and realized it had uh, quite a good uh, music scene. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd always loved blues uh, growing up. And uh, of course, uh, really for me, uh, blues-wise, guitar-wise was Steve Ray Vaughan when he came along. And then that sort of opened up you know who he was emulating right. or you know who his heroes were and you know before that i'd, I'd known who muddy waters was or Howlin' the wolf but uh not you know sort of deep into the, right. the blueses but uh when i got to halifax uh, there was a great blue scene and i met some people like barry cook joe murphy uh shirley jackson and uh Started ended up playing some music with Little Barry and uh, Shirley and um, sitting in with uh, people and seeing some great acts come through town. Uh, there used to be a club uh, called the Flamingo, and they'd get acts, you know, big touring blues acts come into town. So I got to see a, a number of folks there, like right. Gatemouth Brown, uh, a lot of uh, acts from Boston, the Boston area. Yeah, and then did you think that? Because you started playing a lot then, right? Yeah, because then I started having time on my hands and um, able to get back into the music. And Eventually, <clears throat> Barry asked me to, to play with him and start a band, so we, we, we uh, played together, and then uh, also with Shirley Jackson as well. So started doing you know some gigs and bars and, and festivals in the summertime. So when you have time, going back to the flying,
0: what kind of time does one have as a pilot? Like how does the schedule work?
1: Um, it varies, I guess, with the airline. But uh, right now, it's you bid on your flying every month, uh, and by bidding, I mean it's uh, it's actually points that you put in, and you request days off or any type of flying that you'd like to do, right. and it's all based on seniority, and it's a computer a computer uh, program system that does it. So it usually works out to about. And it varies on, on, on the pilot, uh, the person, what they want to do. You know, if they want uh, just to work one day and come home at night, or do they like to go away and uh, stay somewhere and come back? And that's what I like. I prefer to do. So well, usually I'm um, gone for two, three, four days, and then I'll come home and I'll be off for two, three, four days. Like, Is usually. there an
0: expectation of how many days you should be working as a pilot?
1: Yeah, it's more uh, hours. Um, right okay. now... Um, it varies, but it could be anywhere from you know seventy hours to eighty-five hours of flying time a month, okay, depending see. on if it's a busy season like the summer time. It goes up. Uh, they need better utilization and more, more flying. But because you're doing the bidding, do they say, hey, where's that?
0: and you need to put in some more flights or i mean does, that, does it no they, they
1: they they say this is what we're going to build your schedule at uh, you know this particular month it's a window between let's say 75 and 81 hours and you'll you'll get a you'll get a schedule with that
0: so you automatically think okay so if i'm going to san francisco it's 5 or 6 hours 5 hours mm, yeah and then yeah. you think okay to go there once come back that's 10 hours do that yep. seven times or whatever that's right,
1: yeah. And how do you choose? How do you choose where you want to go, you personally? Well, places I like to go, and if if I'm uh, senior enough to hold that uh, position uh, or that flight. Right. You know, um, over the years, I've uh, when I flew an airplane that flew to Chicago, I'd like to go to Chicago and so I'd have an overnight <laughs> and see some Chicago acts, you know, right. or, or San Francisco for that matter, or... Uh, or L.A. Yeah. You know, so there was an ulterior motive uh, in my bidding (laughs) sometimes. (laughs) And I wonder if there are in many pilots, you know,
0: that they have other interests that they have. Yes. Yeah. You
1: know, like I flew with one guy, he liked going to London because his uh, ancestry is from the UK and he was going to find records and trying to look at his family tree. So he'd go there and he'd go into the archives and Uh look up stuff that's not on the internet uh, and uh, try and find, uh, like, he's going way back.
0: Yeah, know, yeah, yeah, Like, it's so cool that you can do that. I mean, it's just the fact that, you know, even saying, going to New York and and seeing, you know, Jimmy Vaughn. and yeah. That you can do that. I mean, yeah. you could technically do that as, as you're working your schedule. This is something different. Mm. but um, And that's how you pursued the blues, right? That you would go to Chicago, San Francisco, and go see people. Yeah, yeah. And I think I remember you telling me once you were going to Europe somewhere to go meet up with... Shigure Norcia or something so it's a,
1: it's a pretty good life yeah <laughs> it is and can you and, just, and when it works out you know like I'll be on the internet and seeing you know where some of these guys are playing or where I'm going like who's playing and right. say well just so happens sometimes it's just it just happens and it's like wow you know like uh like so-and-so is playing so I'll go see them right yeah. Does it work the other way? Where you're kind of saying,
0: gee, I wouldn't mind going to see so-and-so. Yes. Oh, <laughs>
1: yeah. oh yeah. That works out, too. Yeah. Yeah. That takes a bit more planning. But uh, yeah. So every month you bid for the next batch of flights. That's right. We, uh, we bid uh, monthly. Uh, so um, month by month. Yeah. It's a, it's a strange concept. It is. But yeah. um, I don't
0: know if it's still strange to you, but it's just a given. And then yeah. how often do you not get the flight
1: that you were hoping to, for? It happens, you know, and like I said, it's all based on seniority. Um, I'd say, you know, 50, 50 chance of getting it, you know, and you know, there's been times when I've been senior and, you know, it was almost guaranteed I'd get what I wanted. But uh, like I said, it's all based on seniority at the time. And sometimes the the flying, the plane will change the type of flying that it's doing seasonally. So um, like I said, uh, when we were talking about earlier, about uh, the plane I'm on now is is uh, being replaced by a newer plane, right. so the flying is getting uh, much more uh, less variety of destinations. So, and does that worry you, or do you not care? It's not really a worry. It's it's just you know it'd be nice to have more variety, but it's just uh, it is what it is, and eventually. I'll go on to another airplane and get the, that variety back again. And. So tell me
0: about that process. So you're now flying a 767? That's correct. Yeah. And when they phase that out or before they phase that out, then you will be moving to a 777 or a 787. That's whatever. right. Um, so to, in order to do that move, what's required for you to be able to fly the next level of planes?
1: Uh, just training. Uh, you, do, you take a ground school and then some simulator. It takes about a couple of months to uh, get that done, and then you go off and fly that, that aircraft. So does that mean you're actually not
0: going to be flying for real
1: for two months at
0: one point or another? That's right. Wow. Yeah. yeah how do you feel about that?
1: Um, it's just part of the process. Um, you know, the I guess you've school. done this many times. Oh, yeah. Every aircraft that you're on, you you, know, you go through some form of training, to, to, and you're only trained on usually one aircraft at a time. So it would be ground school And then simulator, and the simulator is much—it's very uh, much like the real thing. You know, the the simulation is uh, quite realistic.
0: So there's no chance that because of the flight to San Francisco, for whatever reason, um, there's not enough passengers, and they can put in a DC nine or something instead of the seven sixty-seven. Right. That if that happens, then you can't fly the DC nine. That's right. Yeah. So you just become a passenger
1: yeah if they still want me to go there to maybe pick up the flight back, that right. happens like they'll they'll sub out uh, either a bigger plane or a smaller plane depending on the uh, the load factor okay so and, uh, before we before yeah. I misdirected this conversation,
0: you're in <laughs> Halifax playing blues yeah. with Joe Murphy and Shirley Jackson
1: yeah <laughs> I'd sit in with Joe uh, Joe had a uh still does has a Saturday afternoon matinee at the mustache your father's mustache in Halifax and he's been doing that for years, and uh, yeah. you know, uh, he'll get me up to play. And over the years, and um, and Joe used to back in the days of the Flamingo, he'd get the guys that were playing at the Flamingo to come up and play a few tunes at, at, uh, at his matinee. You know, sh- sort of show you know that the person's here, and uh, you know maybe get some more people out to the shows. So I got to see some neat people, uh, Johnny Johnson, Pine Top Perkins. Wow. So, yeah, a lot of uh, great blues acts.
0: That's for sure. Did, I guess at, by this point, you're never thinking that you want to be a blues musician as a career.
1: No, no, it was more for uh, fun and, you know, playing some gigs. Do you yeah. think you could have ever pursued it if flying was not an option? Um, Yeah, maybe as a sideman, you know, if... Uh, but uh, again it would be it's a tough road <laughs> <laughs> yeah it would be sure. you know uh but it would be sh- purely for the passion of it and uh, you know
0: like what do you get out of playing at this point
1: it's a it's a good time it's still a passion it's it's a great time usually the people are you know 99.9% of the time the people are great mm-hmm. to be with and uh yeah it's a good time and uh really enjoy playing the blues.
0: And it's neat that, you you know, like I know you play with Dave Rotondo a lot. Yeah. Um, but I also know that you also sit in with various musicians like Sunny Rhodes and a bunch of other people. Yeah. Um, I presume that one has to be at a certain level to be accepted like that. Do you know what I mean? Like I just, yeah, you can't just walk in and say, I can play and then.
1: Yeah. It's pretty rare. Yeah. Yeah. Once they know that, um, you know, they being the people that are running the show. If they uh, know know you and know you're, you know, a good player, they'll get you up. Sometimes it's just the fact that they know you, not necessarily how good you are. Because uh, sometimes <laughs> I'm not true. the best. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you have there's friendships t- that have, uh, you know, have uh, come along that uh, in the in the music industry, uh, you know, here in Toronto and elsewhere that uh, have got me up to play. Uh, you know yeah different places did you ever
0: think about doing your own project
1: not like recording an album and yeah it's, it's kind of crossed my mind but you know i don't sing you know i'm more of a sideman mm-hmm. you know a hired uh, sideman i guess so no interest not really no, no. <laughs> Well, you're busy flying that's right yeah. so how did you get into air canada how does that happen well, the resumes. You keep sending them, uh, updating them, and um, at one point uh, they called me up, and I got an interview. And uh, what is that interview like?
0: Is it just a is it is it just about the personality? Is it about your- yeah?
1: It's a bit of everything. You know, they talk to you, see what you're like. Um, you know, in my interview was like three people uh, interviewing me, and you know, basic questions. They're you know, they're just. Yeah, it's mostly to see what you're like as a person and, uh, you know, they know your background and your experience. And, right.
0: Yeah. And you got this, you got the call. How long did it take for you
1: to find out that you actually got into Air Canada? I think it was a few months later I got a, a letter saying that, uh, you know, the, the interview was uh, successful and I you know, wait to hear back. And Wow. Yeah. Was that like a really special? Oh, specific? that was, yeah, that was. Because uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, I um, would presume that that is the, goal, the ultimate goal. Yeah. Or is there another airline? I, you probably can't say this, but like, at this point in your
1: like, career, is Air Canada the be-all, end-all? At that point, um, there was still uh, Canadian Airlines. Uh, Ward Air, I think, had just been swallowed up by Canadian. So it was Canadian and, and Air Canada. So either of them at the time would have been, you know, the goal. And and not another
0: international carrier because you want to be based in Canada.
1: Yeah, not for me. I mean, other other uh, folks have gone that route, you know, uh, either to the Middle East or to Asia and elsewhere to to uh for jobs, but uh, it's never really appealed to me. So how long from that day you got the letter to the point where you were flying as this, I guess as a co-pilot? Yeah. How long uh, did that take? I think it was like within a year. And what we notified me of a course date and then I you know, went on at first you take a course basically just basically like what it is to work for the airline and all the rules. Uh right. not really particular to any aircraft, but just the uh, operating rules. Is that of, different
0: uh, from one airline to another?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean they 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 all sort of cover the same things, but uh yeah. Can you give me an example? Like, what would be a rule? Hmm, that's a good question. Well, they talk about, um, you know, the structure of the airline and, you know, dre- you know how you dress, uh, the uniform and uh, how you're to act.
0: How you dress um, outside of flying. Like, if you fly to San Francisco and you're staying over for two days and yeah. then you fly back, the two days you're there. Is there a dress code? Is no, no, so.
1: no. But uh, just, you know, the uniform and uh, um, and then they get into the, the rules of, uh, basic rules of regulations of uh, the air, air, air regulations right. and whatnot. And uh, so it's a, there's an operating manual for that. And then there's the manual of whatever aircraft you go on, which deals with the aircraft specifically.
0: Right. So do you remember that first flight? As an Air Canada co-pilot?
1: Yeah, yeah. Where was yeah. it to? From think, where to where? I think it was uh, Toronto to Halifax. Yeah. So you brought your guitar along. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Was, uh, again, that was a point when, uh, you know, uh, the music uh, had taken a backseat again. Oh, yeah, again. I guess. Yeah, uh, so, but, uh, I mean, it was still, you know, in my mind, but... Um,
0: but I guess when you start a new job, it's always... A focus to,
1: yes. to to the airlines and whatever. yeah, yeah.
0: And do you, is there a point where music just becomes back to you that you have to start playing again,
1: or did you just say oh, like okay, I got a little more free time? Yeah, you know, more usually it's uh, something like that. Uh, um, I mean, it's always there. Like let's say in my uh, grown-up years, uh, you know, the times that it was, you know, taking a back seat, it was always there, and that you know. It, I get back to it someday. Right. But uh and then there'd be you know, it's mostly free time and, you know, a little bit more time to concentrate and on some music. And um
0: So if you if you don't play music for a year or two, is it easy for you to get back into picking up that guitar and getting back to where you think you should be?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'd ever not played for a year or two as far as like having the guitar at home and you right. know there'd be times that I'd, I'd pick it up you know and still play but just just at home and not being out playing gigs or anything right. like but that but it's different right if you're it not it is playing. yeah yeah but uh you know you keep up your chops and uh
0: and your calluses
1: yeah and you gotta build like, <laughs> yeah the calluses yeah have the yeah, come back if there if it's been a while, the the, the fingers got to build up again. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So how long were you have you been at Air Canada? How long were you a co-pilot before becoming a
1: pilot? Uh captain? I uh, oh, say captain. Yeah. Sorry. it was um uh, I became captain about 6 years ago. Okay. So I remember talking uh, to you right before. Yeah, so uh Yeah, around 6 years ago. I forget the exact year. Was it uh might have been seven or eight now it was like 2010 or 11 and so. i presume
0: that is the pinnacle
1: now we have reached the top yeah well you're a captain of a smaller you know the you know you go down and become a captain of a smaller plane and then right. work your way up again as captain on the larger aircraft yeah so okay so is there a difference but, but to be a captain yeah it's 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 a it's a big step so what plane did you start with I became I did my captain left seat on the uh, the the Airbus three twenty, okay, and uh, we flew or we fly the three nineteen, the three twenty, and three twenty one, as as it's considered basically a common aircraft because the cockpits are so uh, similar, so you can you actually could fly any of those three airplanes on the same endorsement. So is there
0: attitude from the seven eighty seven pilots to the three twenty pilots?
1: A little bit, yeah. There's a, there's a Boeing Airbus. Uh, oh, really? A, a bit of a rivalry there, yeah. Yeah. But you've flown both. Yeah. Is there a big difference in, in the way? Yeah, there are different or... uh, ways of uh, flying. Um, yeah, uh, Airbus is, uh, has their way and Boeing has their way. I mean, the most obvious is um, Airbus has a side stick and Boeing has the traditional yoke. Oh really? You know, uh, the standard uh, between-your-legs yoke there. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So um, yeah, there's a bit of, uh, you know, some people are real Airbus types, and some are real Boeing types. And there's a bit of a rivalry there. But if
0: you wanted to climb the ladder, yeah. then
1: you, you have to go to the Boeing, right? Yeah, we have uh, the A330, which is a wide-body Airbus. and. But beyond that, it, you have to, you know, at Air Canada anyways, right. at this present time, uh, there's the 787 and the 777, which are both Boeing. So if you want to progress to those, you know, you're going to have to uh, fly a Boeing. And I mean, it, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, it's not to the point where you, you wouldn't go there, you know, like there's not too many no. people would say, oh, I'm not going to go because it's a Boeing, you know, it's it's just, a, if that's the next step, uh, most people will go on to the Boeing uh, that's a natural uh, career progression Is your passion for flying the still the same
0: as it used to be? I mean you've been doing this for a number of years it's what you do for yeah. a living
1: It not as much but I mean uh, it's there like it's definitely still a passion and you know I don't know if I could ever go back to that passion of, of you know when I was a kid right. you, know, you know but it definitely is a passion, and and, one and, point, and sometimes okay. I have to remind myself, uh, you know, you know what a great, great job I have, you know, and a lot of it's, you know, just getting involved with, you know, maybe the, some of the political stuff, in, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, in the industry, and 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 sometimes I just got to put that aside and say, listen, it's still, you know, this is a great job, and you know, and what's we'll your favorite part
0: day. of your job? Like I, I presume
1: it's flying, but is there a point like,
0: is taking off or landing or? being up there yeah,
1: it's it's the whole it's the whole package yeah yeah sometimes you just sit there and say wow this is this is awesome <laughs> <laughs> it is i'm awesome. so lucky to be doing this you know I like, count myself very lucky
0: yeah yeah and when you think that at the age of 12 or whatever you thought this is what i want to do mm-hmm. and a few years later that's what you're doing and yeah. looking down and
1: seeing yeah little there's little... yeah there's something to be said for that i mean um I forget who said it, but, you know, they say, uh, you know, if you if you work at something you're passionate, you'd never work a day in your life. Yeah. And that, that, that's true.
0: Even though sometimes you have to get up at like four o'clock in the morning.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe if you asked me that, I'd have a different that's answer for <laughs> you. Had before I have my first coffee. <laughs> yeah.
0: you, you also bid for the schedule. So you could kind of dictate that you don't fly until like 10 o'clock or something. Yes. Yeah. Are you a morning person or an evening person? I'm not a morning person. <laughs> so.
1: and, it, and it's kind of well suited to a lot of the flying I do, um, especially the European flying. Most of the flights leave in the afternoon right. and the evening. So.
0: And then if you do like a two-day thing in, in London or Munich or whatever, do you try to maintain the
1: same time zone as home? Mm, not really. Um, usually when we get in, You'll have a nap for a few hours because you're right. up all night, and uh, but then try and uh, you know conform to the local time zone.
0: But you might be there just for two days before you fly back. Right? Yeah, yeah.
1: So what's the trick behind? Like, how how do you deal with jet lag? Um, or are you just one of those people who does? Well, I, I now I, I you know I just sleep when I'm tired. You know, tired. Like uh, you know, if I mit- if I get somewhere and Let's say, to London and, uh, you know, just a bit more tired than I usually am, I'll, I'll sleep a little longer and and then um, try and get to sleep that night, of course. But uh, sometimes you wake up, uh, you know, your body, once you've had, yeah. you know, so, so so much sleep, you know, that your body says, yeah, I'm okay to go now. And it might be three in the morning where you are. Well, that's, <laughs> that's the way it is, you know. Because it's a tough thing once you get into that horrible cycle of jet lag, right? Mm. Yeah. You know,
0: or you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and you're wide awake
1: yeah exactly and uh, you're not leaving you know, till later in the morning so yeah it happens so musically what's next for you? well I think um, just playing the odd gigs with uh, friends that uh, get together and you know, maybe sit in with some people here and there Right. nothing really uh, happening uh, band wise right now and then flight wise? Where so are you flying to next? Oh, where am I flying to next? Um, go to London uh, next week.
0: Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Can you pick me up some Marks and Spencers chocolate?
1: Sure. <laughs> Just <laughs> let me know, yeah.
0: Um, I thank you again for doing this. I really, I, you know, I told you my passion, well, maybe not my passion, but I like music and I've always been fascinated by flying. Mm. And even though flying has kind of taken a different meaning to me and I don't enjoy it as much as I used to. Right. The idea of being a pilot still fascinates me, and it's it's uh, it's nice to be able to ask you a few questions, my little nerdy questions. And that's great. Thanks for having me. Thank you.